Good morning, church. Let me say a quick hello. I know we've got a lot of people traveling. We've got the room full today, which is awesome. But um, for if you're traveling, we miss you. Come home safe. I believe the angels of God will watch over you. If you're visiting today with us for the first time online or in the room, um, again, I say this every week, and I do really mean it. It's my honor that you guys would choose to hang out with us and be a part of our family here. And uh, I do take that very seriously. I want to say also a quick thank you to all of you for your generosity. Like Melanie said, um, we were right at about seven grand for our Project 216 offering, which is our church is part of something that is bigger than us. That she said, we said last week we have other churches, other groups that support it, and um, it's really nice because it, it was a, that was a very large chunk of what we spend in a year, because um, we spend more than that in a year. Uh, through Project 216, um, which is an awesome testimony that through the generosity of you and generosity of our community that we can do uh, something so big for our school system. And I honestly believe that that's just the beginning, that um, God is going to open up some doors for us to be able to really do some big things to, so that God can show out in our community. And uh, it's so cool that we get to be a part of it. And it makes me, me proud as a pastor we're going to start a new series this morning called The Beatitudes, and we're going to be in it for about eight weeks because, uh, depending on who, what, who you talk to and who teaches it, there are eight or nine of these. We're going to do them in eight. Some people split the last one up and, and uh, break it off as nine. But the Beatitudes, if you look in your uh, Bible, if you're not familiar with your Bible, your Bible is divided into Old Testament and New Testament. And if you look into the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, that's what you may have heard is called the Sermon on the Mount. This was Jesus' longest sermon. Um, some people teach it like he just stood up there and talked for eight hours. More than likely, it probably took place over a couple days. So people, they came in and sat down and then went home and came back the next day. Um, some people believe that's when Jesus was worried about feeding people. And so um, it was probably over seven days. Um, but I need to be straight with you from the, from the top. Is that good or you want me to lie to you? Okay, I'll lie to you because y'all don't seem to care. Um, no, I want to be straight with you. This series is going to confront you. This series may cause you to curl your toes a little bit and say, please don't step on my toes. Um, because just as I've studied for it and, and looking ahead and planning ahead, it really has done that to me. Because, see, the, the problem with, if we're not careful, we don't let God challenge us. And we need God to challenge us to push us forward, just like you would challenge your, your kids if you're a teacher and you'd push them to, to do better. Um, you see, we keep looking for, I think, in, this, in our culture, especially in America, we look toward government and law to make change in us. Well, if, if law changed people, then we would have stopped at the Ten Commandments. Because that would have covered everything. If, if just making a rule changed something, then we wouldn't need law enforcement. We wouldn't need courts. Because if we just made a rule, nobody would break it, right? If, if, you, if you left all your money laying out in your house and you left your doors open, the Bible says don't steal. So therefore, nobody should what? Steal. Is that true? No. no. See, we look for the government to make changes. And if laws work, again, God's law would be enough. But I want to ask you this question. What can change hearts? 
if law doesn't do it, the Bible says only his gospel, only his word can change hearts. So I'm going to ask you as you listen over the next several weeks, whether you're watching online, traveling today, which I know you are, right? All you people at the beach or at the lake. Yeah, we know you're there. I want to ask you to do this. I need you to be honest with yourself. I'm not asking you to come in here and I'm not going to ask you to bare your soul and tell everybody your stuff. But I think we need to be big enough to be honest with ourselves because, and give God's, room tr- God's truth room to show us something. Don't just listen to me. Don't just hear me. I want you to hear as if God's saying, okay, I'm going I'm to help you get better. Don't focus on, the, on who's delivering the message. Focus on who's, who wrote it, who gave it to us. So I'm going to read these to you. These are the Beatitudes. I'm going to read them all through and just give you a little introduction here. This is in Matthew chapter 5. It says in verse 1, so Jesus is starting his Sermon on the Mount. He opens with this. The Bible says, Now the crowd saw Jesus. He went up on a mountainside and sat down. Most of the time in that day when they taught, they sat down and then people sat around them. So they, they sat down. It said he began to teach them. And he said this. This is the one we'll read this week. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In the next verse, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. And then blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Some people break these next ones off. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for the kingdom of heaven, or theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when you insert, insult people who persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil about you. In verse 12. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, it, it repeats that word over and over and over. Blessed. Blessed. You're blessed if. You're blessed if. The thing you need to know first about the Beatitudes is that this is Jesus saying this. Jesus did not just quote them. If you really look at what Jesus did, Jesus lived them. He was a living example of what we're about to see. He embodied them. Jesus is telling us, in, a, in essence, hey, you can do this too. The Bible says of us that we're made in the image of God. We're made in, the, in Christ's image that we can be that way too. That should be what our one step every day takes us closer to be, closer to being. From where we are, one step closer to what and who God wants us to be. You see, these eight statements, and we're gonna, again, we're doing them in eight, they show you two things, two very big things. They show you the only true place happiness can be found is in God and following his son Jesus. As good as other stuff feels, it's not the same. The second thing it shows you is that everything that God has on the table for you. We talked about it last week. In in living life, a lot of times we, we leave life on the table. We don't take what God has for us. Well, in these Beatitudes, the Bible, he's laying out on the table, this is all that I have for you. But see, some of us, if we're not careful, we get hung up on this word blessed. Because really, in, in American church, blessed became to me what? 
If I say to you, I'm blessed, in church, we start thinking what? Oh, he, somebody gave him money. I was blessed today. What? Who gave you money? See, the word blessed in the actual original text doesn't mean that. One version actually says happy. But the problem is it's not talking about happy or a feeling because those go away. What the, that word blessed actually means is an internal joy that, can come, that has to come from an internal God. It can't come just because the weather's nice, that brings me happiness. Or the, something feels good, it makes me feel good. Or somebody's nice to me, so therefore I'm blessed. You, you are blessed, but that's not what this is talking about. It's not circumstantial. It doesn't come and go. It doesn't do like a lot of us when we cheer for our football teams, which all started this weekend. You're yay, yay when they win, and I hate those guys when they lose. Or, or a lot of, unfortunately, y'all aren't that way, right? But that when they lose, it's amazing what national church attendance happens. Like people don't come to church because their football team lost. Well, that joy is not the joy that God's talking about because it's come and gone. You see, they show, it also shows you that table. And here's the thing as we go through these. You can't just choose one. This is not a buffet. I'll take a little bit of poor in spirit, and then I'm going to take the merciful, and I'm going to not take the persecution because that really just doesn't sound fun to me. That's not how this works. This is a, you can't really get all of them until you get the first one, but you can't just pick and choose. So here's the one we're going to do today. Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We struggle with this one, and I think it's because we misunderstand it. That there, there used to be a line of teaching in, in the church, probably back in the 80s. If you're old enough, you'll remember a guy named Keith, Keith Green. Keith Green was a musician, and he kind of led what I called the oh, poor, poor me movement. Like the way you became holy and closer to God was you punished yourself, and you, it was the I crawl on my knees to you, God. I, I, I give all my earthly belongings away. And if I have nothing, therefore, I have to depend on you. Well, you can do that, and it'll make you depend on God, but it doesn't make you any more holy. And we think that's what poor in spirit means. But see, here's what it really means. It says, blessed is the person who, do, who does this, who realizes I have nothing to bring to the table. And without God, I'm helpless. It's not a statement of my worth or value because your worth and value, Jesus said, I came and died for you. That establishes you at the most highest cost there is. What this means is I realize that, God, I bring nothing to this table of life you've put out in front of me. See, other translations will, will translate it this way, that I realize my need for them, that I recognize that I'm helpless, that I know that I have a spiritual need. You see, the problem is, if we're honest, most of us can't admit that I'm deficient. Now, we will all say, no, I realize I'm not perfect. But when push comes to shove and something needs to be done, who do we look to to accomplish it? Me. We always say, oh, I'm going to trust God, I'm going to trust God. Well, when the clock's ticking down to the last second and you have to say, I trust God or I trust me, a lot of us say, well, I can bring something to the table. And it's not something that, that we can really do. Now, th what I'm about to show you, this is not only true for God, 
But this is a good something for you parents to think about. And since I'm going to be stepping on some toes, let me just go ahead and curl a few. When you decide whether or not church is important this morning, when you get up and you're tired and your kids are cranky and life's difficult, but this is also true about realizing who God is. The truth is, you'll never be depending on something that you see as optional. Because not one of you this morning got up and go, I'm going to hold my breath and just, I may not breathe today. Right? And I know none of us got up and said, well, I'm just not going to eat all week long. Not going to eat a thing. Yeah, it's how quiet I expected it to be. Right? See, something that we don't think is, is non-optional. Breathing is what? Is it an option or is it not an option? I mean, you've got to breathe. You can go a little bit longer without food. You can go a lot longer if you just drink water. But we'll never be dependent on something we see as optional. And how do you know if you see it as optional? It's if you get up in the morning, where does God fall in on your line of thought? Is he first, second, third? Did you consider not coming this morning? Now, there are legitimate reasons, and that's why I love technology, and you guys who are traveling are joining with us, and I get that. But I think we need to internalize this, because we have to arrive at this place of realizing, I can't get there on my own. I need God. He's all I have. You know, Melanie mentioned the bake sale next week for the guys. I'm excited about this trip. We've got a good group of guys. We're taking 11 guys, and many of them, um, it's going to be their first trip. And they will learn this. See, we go to Honduras, and I remember the first time, what, eight years ago or so, that Mel and I went and kind of scouted it out. And we kind of come in like Americans, strolling in like we're going to, we're going to figure out how to help these people because they're poor and they live in shacks and they got nothing and they're probably really depressed in life and they're having no fun and on and on and on. And then you get there and it's the happiest bunch of people you'll ever see in life. They just, kids are just, they're happy to have somebody play with them. They're happy to have, um, you know, a, a, a little beat up car or a Coke bottle that they play with. Last time we took soccer balls and our guys played soccer with them on a, on a road that was more gravel and boulders than it was flat and smooth. And see, the thing is, they've tapped into this, I'm convinced of it, that they've got nothing to bring to the table, but I'm just going to have to trust God. And they are some of the most happiest people that are living in some of the most awful conditions according to us yet they open the door and invite you in their home and they're grinning from ear to ear and they invite you to sit on the milk crate that's the only piece of furniture they have and the fire and the the oven that is also the the fireplace and how they warm the house yet they're the happiest bunch of people and they have next to nothing what happens is we don't go in to help them is almost everybody who goes comes home with a different perspective of what i bring to the table is God optional? Because to them, God's not optional. He is everything they have. And we learn that really quick, that what we're doing is nice and, and blesses them, but the truth of the matter is their lives are changing ours, that without God, I have nothing. Look what John says. John wrote the book of Revelation. God 
pulled him. It's the only book in the New Testament that's truly prophetic, and it's stuff that's going to happen. Most of you know it's how, the, how it all comes to an end, and we get to go be with Jesus. But John wrote it, but he's quoting Jesus. So if you look at this, this these, and if you have a red letter edition Bible, this will be in red. And it says in Revelations 3.15, he's, he's actually talking to a church. He says, I know all the things you do. I know you go to Honduras. I know you do Project 216. I know you serve in the nursery. I know you serve in the community. I know you, all these things you do. But he says, I wish that you were either hot, that you're neither hot or cold. And he says, I wish you were one or the other. I wish I was not an option or you just walk away. I wish that, I, I wish that you were, would take nothing else besides me or you just plainly tell me, I don't need you. But look what it says in verse 16. He says, but since you're lukewarm, neither hot or cold, one version says vomit, one version says spit. Um, he said, I'm, just, I'm, I'm done with it. And in verse 17, he says, you say that I'm rich, that I have everything I want, and I highlighted it here, but we say, no, I don't need a thing. Now, I get it to some of us, we that we genuinely do acknowledge, God, I'm blessed. I don't, I don't lack for anything. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about somebody who thinks they have everything, and you tell God, no, I don't need anything. And in verse 17, and you don't even realize, and I don't think God, when he's given this to John, John didn't pull any punches because I think this is pretty direct. He says, you don't realize that you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. In other words, I got nothing to hide. I got to bring nothing to the table. See, I really want to teach us as we go through just and close today out, as we finish today, what it really means, I think, what it means to be poor in spirit. That poor is not a weak little kind of mamsy-pamsy, you know, just let everybody walk over me. You know, I'm real quiet. I don't stand up for myself. I don't stand up for God. I'm just... I just take it all. That's not what it means. See, to, to live with understanding this means that you live with this, that I have nothing to give, and all, all I need, God has it. If you can get to this place to realize all that I have <laughs> means nothing to God, and he's got all that I need. So I want to show you today, I'm going to show you four things. Four things that you and I don't have. And then I'm going to show you how the Beatitudes, what Jesus is saying, how he gives it to us. Because we need some very basic things. Our life is not going to go well for us. When I mean life, I mean here and eternally. So you need to know this. Without Jesus, I have no other way to pay for my sin. And when you believe that I show up at the table with something of value... You're saying to God, I've got a backup plan. But the truth of the matter is, I have no other way to pay for my sin. And here's something that may be a, a fine point of semantics. Semantics just means a word, a, you know, you hear the politicians and they use the word salad. You know, they say a bunch of stuff, you don't know what they mean. And you lose the meaning that's buried inside. So I want to make sure we see this. Because the Bible says that he forgives us, he's good and faithful to forgive us for all our sins. But here's what we miss. For him to forgive us, somebody had to pay the bill. 
Because payment always has to precede forgiveness. Did you catch that? For those of you who maybe have a home loan, they don't forgive it and then you pay them. For those of you who may have a credit card bill, they don't forgive it and then you send them the money. See, for us to even walk and say, okay, God, I receive your forgiveness, we have to understand that somebody had to pay the price. That's what Jesus did. The Bible says we're all in this mess. Look in Romans 3, 23. It says, for everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's standard. It doesn't say everybody but Ben or everybody but Charlie or everybody but Sherry. And then just list out, or everybody but all you people who live in this zip code, y'all are all good. Everybody else is in trouble. That it says all of us, is, we're in this, we have a decision to make. And the decision is there's a bill to be paid. Because look what Romans 6, 23, if you skip ahead a few chapters, it says this, that the wages of sin, in other words, the result of sin is death. The only way you can pay that debt is somebody had to die. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad Jesus willingly chose to do it for me. Because had he not, that debt's on me. He goes on to say, with the free gift of eternal life is brought through Jesus. You see, Jesus' free gift to me gives me salvation, forgiveness, and eternal life. That it's paid for. That if, if I want it, what this poor in spirit is, is me understanding that I can't have all that unless somebody pays for it. Somebody's got to pay the price, and the price, is, the Bible says, is death in hell. And I have people ask me frequently, or even people trying to oppose me and question God, well, I can't believe a good, merciful God sends people to hell. Anybody ever heard that? That God sends people to hell? You know that's not true? God doesn't send people to hell. Hell is a place where people go to pay for their own sins. It's a choice. It's, a, it's, it's, it's as plain as day as you having that house that you need to pay off, me offering to pay off your house, and you go, no, I'll do it myself. You have that free choice. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm not sending you to hell. God doesn't send you to hell because you made a few bad decisions. He sends you to hell because without Jesus, you have no other place. You have to go pay, pay that bill. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says this, But up because of his great joy and love for us, God who is rich in mercy, mercy is God giving us things we don't deserve, made us alive in Christ even while we were still trying to figure out how to pay the bill. And this is, this is where we lose this line. It is by grace you have been saved. Mercy, if you don't know, mercy is God giving you something you don't deserve. And grace is God keeping something or taking on himself what we really deserve. And we lose this sight because the moment you say, God, I bring this little bit to the table, then you're saying to God, I can, I can figure some of this out. I don't, I don't need all of you. And that's not somebody who has what he's talking about as he says, poor in spirit. The second thing, without Jesus. Jesus didn't come and pay for our sins. Coping with my pain and problems would be my only option because we'd have no other way out. 
You would just have to play the hand you're dealt. If you're sick, you'd just be sick. If you got problems, you're just going to have to have problems. And coping with it would be our only way to deal with it. I try to fix it myself. I try to write my own story. Anybody tried to write your own story in some part of your life? And you realize that when you get to the end of it, like, this is not how I wanted it to come out. I had a much different direction in mind. That's coping. That's trying to figure it out on our own. Trying to make it, or make something work that won't work. I love this verse. I actually had never seen it. Um, I know I've read it before, but it, I read it this week and it jumped out at me. And Jeremiah, the prophet, says, Hey, they're going to offer special treatments for mortal wounds you have. But they're superficial. Now, if I came and told you you have a terminal issue, what does it say you cut your arm? You're going to bleed to death. That's a terminal issue. But I'm going to give you a superficial treatment. I'm going to put a Band-Aid on that bad boy. Now, did I give you a treatment? Yes. Is it going to do you any good? No, it's not. If you cut a main artery for all of my EMT firefighters and first responders in the room, you better do something. Because life is about to be over. Do you want somebody to just come on and put one of those little pretty uh, Hello Kitty Band-Aids on it? Don't you feel better? No, I don't. I'm bleeding to death. And the Bible tells us, listen, what you're trying to do when you bring something to the table, you're just trying to cope with life. And I had somebody get a little upset with me when I said this, but I'm going to say it again because I really mean it. At some point, I've told people, listen, you want to try to cope with it? Be my guest. Go on out the world, cope with it, do it your way. But I can promise you this, you'll be back. Just like the Israelites, when they, when they came and God had the Israelites, they wandered in the desert for 40 years. I, I think that every time they came around the mountain, which they, if you look at it, they really wandered around one mountain. They, they come around the mountain and God's, okay, y'all ready? Y'all going to listen to me this time? Nope, we're not ready. Okay, go around the mountain again. They were trying to figure it out on their own, complaining to God. It just didn't work because they were having these superficial treatments. It's going to be these assurances, he goes on to say, of peace. Peace. That's what I think is happening now all over the world. It's going towards what the book of Revelation says is going to happen. When? I don't know. But as assurances of peace, it's going to happen. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Just cope with it. Just do this. Take this medicine, read this book, you'll figure it out, you'll be, you'll be okay. Well, no, you won't. You're still bleeding. And now you've got a, a Hello Kitty Band-Aid and a promise that you're going to be okay, neither of which are going to do you any good. I feel like as a pastor, sometimes that pastors, we don't want to tell you that because I want you to come and we want to laugh and tell funny jokes and have it. And that's part of it. And I, my prayer is that you do come to church and feel good, but sometimes... I wish, sometimes I think I would rather be told, hey, I'm bleeding and here's how I fix it, than me just a little pretty Hello Kitty Band-Aid and send you on your way and then tell you everything's going to be okay. Because unless there's a heart change, they're not. And that's what Jesus is talking about. I'll give you another good one. Here's, here's a good example. It's the TV ads. That verse is the TV ads. The verse, that's, or the, the ad that says, hey, if you order this, I don't remember what it was. Maybe I was thinking about it all week and I couldn't remember. Y'all remember the, the flexible thing? It was the rod 
and the lady would bend it over and put it between her legs and like doing this was going to, like suddenly all of you is going to be rock hard because you can bend this little thing and squeeze it between your knees. And the commercials just ran and ran and you could buy it on the home shopping network. You could order online. You could get it for five easy payments of, you know, five ninety nine ninety nine. It was going to change the world. But was it? It was the world saying, hey, peace, peace. But there's no peace. It was, going to be, it was going to be transformational. But the truth of the matter is this, that Jesus' free gift gives me this, a power. A power means an ability. Jesus said, I'm giving you the ability to do two things. I'm going to heal your body and I'm going to transform your mind. That you don't have to be the way that the world says you are. are that you can, you can be healed. That instead of just saying the Hello Kitty Band-Aid is going to fix it, the Bible says that I'm going to restore it and stop the bleeding altogether. The Bible says that those of us who maybe deal with stress and we're dealing with life and our minds are just going a, a million miles an hour, that you can be transformed. One verse actually says this, that you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And how do you renew your mind? It's just getting closer to God, getting into reading your Bible. The Bible says that actually renews your mind. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter writes that he personally carried our sins on his body so that we can be dead to sin and live by what's right. And then we quote this a lot, but this is a really good verse for you to write down if you're struggling with something in your body. That by his wounds you are made to feel better? Get the Hello Kitty Band-Aid to stop the bleeding? No. The Bible says that you're healed because he's already paid the price. That the death that you deserve, the suffering that you deserve, he paid for. You see, the out, this is the outcome. He goes on in the next verse to say that once you were like sheep, you wandered away. But now you've turned yourself to the shepherd, the guardian of your soul. He can free, the soul is where your mind, your will, and emotions all sit. And some of us, that's what leads our life. But the Bible says that you can transform all that to turn to follow him. The Bible also tells us in Galatians, but the Holy Spirit, which is God's Spirit that he puts in us, it has some results. It has some fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Are there any one of those that you guys would say, eh, I don't really want that. I'll take a little joy, maybe a little peace. I don't want any goodness, and I don't really care about faithfulness. No, the Bible says that this, these are all results of us getting a little closer to God, us understanding that His Spirit is inside of us. The third one, without Jesus. <clears throat> I said this a minute ago. Without Jesus, you're going to have to write your own story. You're going to have to figure it out, something that works. It's how, it's how and why people stay confused. I'm lost. Plans change. What works today doesn't work tomorrow. Anybody remember the feeling over 2021 during when the pandemic and everything was shut down? You'd watch the news and it says, wear this. And the next day, don't wear this. And the next day, wear two of these. The next day, don't wear two of these. And then this, this version, this version, this virus, this is, I'm like, I told him, I remember laying in bed telling Melanie, I don't know what to believe is true other than what my Bible tells me because they change it every single day. Every single day. 
things that we see as we can watch it happen live on TV. And then the next day they'll tell you, well, that didn't really happen. That's not true. No, I, I watched it. We have to write our own story and we stay confused. When the Bible tells us, for those who know Jesus put everything on the table for us, again, the prophet Jeremiah said this in the Old Testament. And this is God quoting him. This is God speaking this. He says, for I know I have, I have, blah, let's try it again. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And then he tells us, plans for you to be good, prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Because here, the truth of the matter is, without that hope and the future that comes from Jesus, we're going to be lost. And Jesus' free gifts allow us to know these things. Jesus' free gifts gives me the ability to know who I am and why I'm here. Because I've said this before and I'll keep saying it because I truly believe this. There are two great days in your life, the day you're born and the day you figure out why. The day you figure out what's my purpose. Why am I on this planet? Jesus gives that ability to figure that out. The Bible says in Acts chapter 17 verse 26 that from one man came all the nations that they should inhabit the earth. That he marked out their boundaries in time and history. In other words, God said, I know right where you're going to be. I'm going to put this goofy kid from Tennessee and I'm going to slap him in the middle of Scriven County and he's eventually going to figure out how to be a part of this community. It'll take him 23 years, but he'll figure it out. And then I'm going to put him around some other people who are great and generous and want to go do the same thing and then I'm going to expect them to go change Scriven County. God already had us all laid out. He knew our names, who our families were. What, he's not, he didn't fall off the throne when life didn't turn out like you thought it would. But the Bible says he's, he's appointed you to be here. And he said he did it for a reason. There's something in us wanting to find God. Look at verse 27. It said, God did this so they would seek him and maybe even reach out to him. And I love this line and I highlighted it here behind me. Though he is not far from any one of us, it doesn't delineate all you good spiritual people that God's right there close to you and all you sinners, God's kind of away from you. That's not what it says. It says he's close to all of us. And we have to understand that Jesus' free gifts lets me know who I am and why I'm here because God's already done it for me. He's already written it out. And then in verse, uh, sorry, number four. And ushers and band, you guys can do your thing. Without Jesus, without Jesus, I live a life for joy that simply fades away. I live life for something that's not permanent, that can be taken from me. I, I live life really hoping that what's true today is, is still true tomorrow. I'll never forget when Mabel came home, and I can't remember what grade she was in, but she was learning as a young, the, the, the new math. And if you're like me, old, you did the multiplication tables, right? And you used to have to do a page of 100, and you'd have to like, you got two minutes, go. And you'd have to answer and multiply in your head. And now you, you multiply two plus two by adding 14 and dividing by 12 and a half, and it just like... What? what? To me, I told Mabel, what was true for me in math, you're telling me it's not true. But I know it is. 
Two times two equals what? Four. But I don't need to go plus 12 minus 7 plus 13 to get to four. I just know two times two is what? Four. You see, the problem is we live for a truth that's not capital T truth. We live for a truth that's lower case. It's subjective that we make it whatever I want to be true. And the Bible simply says that truth is going to fall away. It's your story that's not working out like you wanted it. It's you in a place with no hope. Look what Peter writes this again in 1 Peter. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his mercy, he has, remember mercy, he's given us something we don't deserve. He's given us a new birth into something. A living hope, which is all wrapped up in what Jesus brought to the table. Not me. Through a resurrection from Christ of the dead. And he said, and into this inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Jesus, the Bible says of God that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It never fails. It never goes away. And being poor in spirit is me simply living to the place where I say, God, you're all I need. I bring nothing to the table. All my abilities, everything I have, you've given me. Now, what do you want me to do with it? Because you need to know this. Jesus' free gift gives me the joy of living to honor him and to have impact. And not just impact, eternal impact on somebody else's life. Because the fruit in my life should be, is the very thing that lets me then impact other people's life. The stuff that comes out of me of God lets me impact other people for eternity. Look at this in John chapter 15, verse 8. Why don't you guys go ahead and stand with me? I want to read you this. I want to challenge you with this as we start this Beatitude series. And we'll get into it deeper as we go. John chapter 15, 15 verse 8 says, This is to my Father's glory. This is what brags on God. This is what makes God smile. This is what says, God, you are who you say you are, and everything you say is true, and you never change. That you bear fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Showing yourselves that you're sitting at my table, taking in the life that I bring you, not trying to do it yourself. If you skip on to verse 11, he says, I've told you this so that my joy... Notice it doesn't say our joy. My joy may be in you, and that your joy that's in you may be what? Complete. Say that with me again. Maybe what? It doesn't say fading out. It doesn't say here today, gone tomorrow. It doesn't say it was good today, and then you lose it, and you're it's gone tomorrow. It says it's complete. But I want you to notice what it was connected to. It was connected to this idea of us bearing fruit. And the only way you bear fruit is to say, God, I'm here at the table. I bring nothing, but I, I receive everything you've given me. And some of us need to do that this morning. Fruit is a result of his impact on, his, on your life. And I'll close with this. You go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes. The happiest people you'll meet on this earth, and I'm convinced that's why when we see those kids in Honduras, the happiest people even here in the States are those 
who can simply say and like get up in the morning, Jesus, I need you. I need you to show up. Uh, nothing I can do in and of myself is going to help me be better, but I need you. And if that's you this morning, if you would say, I can say that, praise God. But there's some of us who maybe you need to come back. Maybe you were in, in, in church serving God. Or maybe this is all new to you here or watching online. And you say, Jesus, I need you. The Bible says you simply confess with your mouth. You believe it in your heart that Jesus is who he says he is. And eternity is yours. But that's just the start. So is all the, the power and the glory and the transformation of your mind and the bringing you closer to him. And if that's you this morning, it's just a simple prayer right where you are. Jesus, I need you. Forgive me. And God, I receive everything you have for me. You are my Lord and Savior. If that was you this morning, grab one of those cards in front of you. You can shoot one of the uh, picture of the QR codes and just let us know you did that because we want to encourage you. For the rest of you, I'm going to pray and we're going to sing one more song, but I want to challenge you. Go bear fruit. And the way you bear fruit is by saying, God, I'm going to get closer to you. And when you get close to me, it, things begin to come off of my life and the fruit comes up and it affects the people beside me. It affects the people in my home, my kids. Parents, please learn to see God as not just an option for this weekend, but the only thing I need to make my life go where God wants it to go, where you want it to go. God's not optional. And when you see it as option, as just an option, your kids will see it that way. Let me pray and bless you and then we're going to sing. God, I thank you in Jesus' name that your word says you come close to us. And God, you, you, that you, that your spirit in us produces fruit, joy, peace, patience, kindness, love, goodness, all of that stuff. And God, as that fruit comes out in our lives, Father God, that we begin to affect those around us. That the seats in this room won't be able to contain the people if we just go and bear fruit. God, we take from the table that you've given us in life that is all yours, and we begin to impact other people's lives. And we see things change because the God in us does something through us. And God, I thank you for it today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.